Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. This is Pod Have Mercy. So, I always start the podcast with, so. So, like right in the middle of it. I it's can, like, <laughs> unless that's we're like a biblical on word. <laughs> Therefore. So this week we're joined by Dr. Gil Rindle, who is, I mean, how would you describe him? Amazing. Yeah. I mean, he, brilliant. he's kind of, uh, he's kind of a rock star meets Yoda. In some circles, you know what I mean? He's like super grounded and very wise. You know, it's like being around, it's being around something that's like, so it's, it's just marinated and done so much work in an area that when you, when you engage with it, it's like, oh, that's what, that's what the taste should, should taste like, or that's what leadership should be like. So, yeah, he's been on the, he's been on the cutting edge of congregations and church leadership and cultural influence and just, you know, I, I used his book leading change in a congregation yeah. in my doctoral project in early two thousands. He's been writing books forever and yeah. continues to give great leadership in the United Methodist church, but in many denominations yes. as they think about what does it look like to live into this new future? Yeah. And especially right now in the midst of That's 2020 right. and pandemic, he's, he's still given <laughs> great leadership in the midst of all this. And you're in a, a cohort with him. I am. He leads a cohort of some folks at the TMF that we meet um, a number of times a year and bring what we're writing or thinking about to the group. And then the group spends a couple of days just picking it apart, asking questions about it, deconstructing it. You know, and it's a really safe place to uh, bring some vulnerable stuff. Hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I know when the denomination, um, uh, you know, general conference was going, all the bishops were trying to kind of pulling their hair out around uh, everything that's going on in our denomination. They reached out to Gil to say, basically, would you lead us through a process? So teach um, us, you will. <laughs> teach us, you will. <laughs> that's awesome. My, Matt's having technical difficulties. Why he's doing that, though, Gil, I remember you and I. I, I can't remember when last time we saw each other, but I think I shared with you when I did my, um, when I did my D-Men, I had gone through a church merger in 2002 or three or something like that. And so I was at Columbia, a theological seminary, and I thought I was going to do gospel and culture, you know, again, abstract. And then we did this merger and I decided I really wanted to dive in deep on that and to see why it was that it worked because there were no models. You know, I went out to find models and there weren't any successful models for this thing. And so it really drove me into Edgar Schein and Chris Argyris and, you know, all this systems and organizational culture. And so when I came back with my presentation, I remember uh, Cam Murkison was like, yeah, we need some more, we need some Bible in this. You know, <laughs> and I was like, dude, I got three years of masters of divinity and all this stuff. I got Bible, but I was hungry for that stuff, <clears throat> you know, yeah. how to actually yeah. lead organizations, how to actually uh, shape and impact cultures. And then I, I was convinced after that, that that was something that more pastors needed to be versed, versed in. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, the other thing, there, there's a, another uh, facet to that, and, and that is that uh, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've done, um, you know, kind of workshops or presentations or whatever it is. And one of the things that will happen is that someone um, who is closer tied to a traditional sense of the Bible will stand up and say, well, this is really good, very interesting, but it's not scriptural. <laughs> you know, it's not biblical. It's mm. not Christian. And yet, when you step back, what we're talking about is so heavily value-based in, in, in the fundamentals of the gospel. Yeah. Simply by talking about community, simply by talking about honoring individuals. I mean, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, uh, at first I used to feel defensive, and what I learned to do was just to hold still. Mm-hmm. And there were the other people in the group who would pop up and say, no, wait, this is, this is us, this is biblical, you know? And so... Uh, you know, there are these measures by which uh, we do our work sometimes where if we can't footnote the scripture, it won't be read. Well, that was that was one of the things I found. And when I wrote up my project and Cam was telling me, you know, we need we need more scripture. We need more scripture. Same sort of thing. And so I just started spending time. Actually, I guess if, it's not the way you're supposed to do it. I was reading the scripture through the eyes of Edgar Schein. Right. <laughs> so all of the sudden as I'm looking at, you know, Acts chapter 10, uh, or, you know, Peter going up on the roof uh, and has the vision, all right. I can think of is, okay, here's, here's uh, unfreezing, here's cognitive restructuring, right. and here's right, refreezing, right. all right here from Edgar Schein on the rooftop. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at now. this through a completely different set of lenses. Um, right, exactly, exactly, yeah. Well, thankfully, I've never been tempted to proof text anything I've written or said. <laughs> well, you have a lot. See, I was try- I was trying to get to a place to, you know, get a grade. You you don't you're not there anymore. You you have a lot more uh, success and authority established where than than I did at that time. I was having to follow the instructions, but it, it was yeah, it's right. great. It That's was great. a great exercise for me. Uh, because I did read Thanks, the scripture Jeff. a lot differently because I did go through a, a season of time where I thought, well, maybe this stuff doesn't connect, but the more I've, I've lived in it, when you think about yeah. systems thinking, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. body of Christ, that's, that's unity. Right. That's, um, there's so much that is, that's tied into that. Yeah. And when you think yeah. about like, um, you know, the, the pro- so I think some of the problems we face in leadership too, is I can't remember, um, which book it is, but it was, it was Chris Argyris. And he talks about that most of us engage in only kind of one loop of learning. We just attack the the symptoms. And so we think if we fix the symptoms, we fix everything, but you don't really fix the overall uh, structure. And so we keep going forward, just addressing the symptoms and you have to have sort of this double loop of learning. And and most people don't ever engage in that. So that was very helpful for me to think, okay, Let's take a deep breath before we just reactively, emotionally address the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Let's take a deep breath. Like you said, let's sit and wait for a minute. Let's let the delays work out and let's figure out what's the bigger problem. What are these symptoms um, pointing to, you know, in, yeah, in the structure, right. in the organization? That's, I think that's one of the huge challenges. You know, our group was talking about it uh, over the last couple of days that we're now in this uh, deep deep cycle of uncertainty and anxiety. People just don't know where 
you know, fundamental things are going. And so in that situation, it's almost impossible to, to, to do double loop learning. Yeah. Uh, you're in the single loop. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep acting. You've got to keep pushing. I mean, you know, and so people, uh, you know, I hate to say it is people don't have the luxury, but they don't see the value of holding still long enough to say, what was that all about? Yeah. You know, fundamental yeah. stuff. Yeah. So. There's a, something Darwin said that uh, um, humans are the only animals that when they are lost, increase their speed. <laughs> 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 right and i think that's just really true when i think about the age of what's been that? talking to my wife again huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i do think there's you know when you study um you study systems and you learn about delays and you have to allow the delays to yeah. work you have to and and that's really hard for us in our culture because we want uh, the result, we want the satisfaction. I want the Amazon package delivered this afternoon. You know, I don't want to have to wait for anything. And there's, it's just like, but I look at it in the natural order, natural revelation of, of God timing. I think it's not only scripture, but wired into creation. You know, you're not ready to uh, go to seminary when you're eight, you know, you're not ready to, uh, to, you know, to, to, run an organization when you're 16 and you're still working out your identity. I mean, that's God, God's wired into us to grow and to mature. Mm -hmm. And of course, some people never emotionally mature, but yeah, I, I, I really, uh, you know, looking, looking back, um, uh, I really think that, um, particularly with when I was in the parish, I had to preach. It was a a job requirement. Um, but I kind of determined that I wasn't really ready to preach until I was about 60 years old. Hmm. Um, you know really that there is that gap yeah. uh, between between just just knowing how to talk and having something to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Paul is. Now you Paul, guys, you guys, I'm sure you know Manny's that hurdle around you know twenty five <laughs> or thirty. But yeah. absolutely. <laughs> well, you know when I when I started in ministry and I was twenty three, oh, twenty two years old. Man, I I knew how to preach better than anybody. I just want to go back. I was the best preacher that I had ever heard in my life. I mean, there was nobody that could preach like. And now I go back and listen to it, and I go, "That guy's horrible." (laughs) You know what? I think I yeah. I think at twenty three, I had not integrated enough pain, and so I was still Mm -hmm. talking out of this abstract space. And I think it takes a lot of pain and humiliation (laughs) to be able to preach well. You know, because yeah. I think if that if if the way that we talk doesn't talk to people's <laughs> desperation, you know, and doesn't tap, tap into our own, I'm not sure if the yeah. event of preaching has happened. You no, know, no. It's my, I, I forget exactly where I got it, but probably the, one of the most damning definitions of preaching is, uh, you know, um, explaining questions that people are not asking. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, and I think that there's a a good bit of preaching that still follows that format. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it isn't connected to our pain. It isn't connected to our experience, um, you know, to any kind of wisdom at all. Yeah. Yeah. I can't yeah. imagine anybody in these days where we find ourselves, you know, or, or just getting up and preaching on, uh, you know, Oh, the, here's the woman who lost the coin. And then next week it's the, Oh, it's the lost sheep and the boat. And next week it's the prodigal. So without any, Expository without process. any, no, just, I mean, you can make those passages work where we are, but without any recognition of what's going on in the world around us. 
There's no one sitting in the no one sitting in the pew is yeah. absent of the life of 2020. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, no. It's anyway. kind of it kind of points to to some of the the well not some but all the work that uh, that you've done and also the, the your book quietly Cour- courageous which is just I think incredibly helpful for the times we're in too in that um one of the things that you say in the book is um what if the question we are now facing um uh, we now face are not the product of things gone wrong but rather a world that has grown different um and in a world that has grown different um i mean we don't open our doors and just have a flood of people coming in the the church no longer sits at the central space within kind of the the public square as a um, as a reference point that people are coming to with purpose and meaning, you know, um, things have really become much more diffuse. Um, and, and part of your um, argument or a summonsing is for the church to think differently about leadership, um, mm-hmm. um, using the kind of the, the dictum of Einstein that the things that created the problem aren't, <laughs> yeah. can't solve it, you know. <laughs> The solution, right? yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, could you just speak to some of those components that that you really feel like that the church, in particularly maybe coming out of the pandemic or in the midst of it, that we really need to be um, um, thinking about marinating in, thinking through as a church, because um, as you've said, we're not going to go back to normal. This is not a, a we won't go back to you know, the next day as if, uh, you know, something happened and we reset it. Um, so how do we think about these times and leadership in these times? Uh, I mean, there are so many places to, to start that conversation, yeah. but uh, let me uh, let me kind of jump in at it at one or two places. And mm-hmm. that is that, um, you know, I've, I've been um, I've been in the church for over 70 years. I've been, um, you know, ordained uh, for, oh, I don't know, 50, 55 years. Um, I've watched the church go through a lot and uh, of greatest um, kind of importance to me most recently is that I realized I've spent all of my life, almost all of my life on institutional questions. And so one of the things that's happening because of this changed culture and the changed environment is that we, at leadership in the church, it isn't so much that we just have to get to be better leaders or, or different leaders. Mm. We have to start attending to different things. Mm. And when you attend to different things, you often need a, a different skill set. Uh, because, you know, the question you're, at, you're being asked now is, is asking or demanding something different of you. And so almost all of my life, you know, it had to do with institutional questions. How are we going to fund this institution? How are we going to resource it? How are we going to get people involved with it? How are we going to manage the traditions? How are we going to make people happy? How are we going to satisfy the denomination? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, almost every, every question about a thriving conversation that I have heard, even in the last couple of decades, has been an institutional question. Mm -hmm. All right. And so that really kind of frames it as if the leaders of a congregation are institutional leaders. And what it misses is the fact that the institution was created for a purpose. Hmm. 
And so now we're at the point that the institution has to be subsidiary to the purpose. It used to be that if you kept your, your institution going, you were fulfilling your purpose because there was a lot of shared, uh, shared um, you know, kind of consensus about what that purpose was all about, whether, whether we liked the way it was defined. Looking back on that time, that's a different issue. Institutions are absolutely necessary. It's, it's how we order our lives, and it's particularly how we order our, our shared lives in community. Yes. Uh, all of these are absolutely necessary for us. I think one of the, the formative pieces for me has been Hugh Hecklow's work where he points out that, uh, you know, that uh, institutions are absolutely necessary. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news is we don't trust them at all. Hmm. <laughs> and we don't trust them because they've earned our mistrust. And uh, I would think, you know, I would, I would argue that a lot of the mistrust comes from the fact that uh, our institutions have started to care for themselves in, instead of their intended purpose. Amen. Um, you know, um, uh, Wells Fargo Bank, uh, you right. know, was supposed to help people, um, you know, kind of develop um, their own assets and their life and, and help them to, um, you know, kind of manage their homes and, and uh, you know, all those other things that go with it. And instead, uh, they ended up uh, just trying to get a whole lot of accounts because it served their purpose, mm. uh, you know, and I mean, that's only one example. I mean, politically, if you take a look at our institutions, they have betrayed most of what they say that they are uh, supposed to be doing. Um, the church, uh, you know, um, <laughs> has gone down the road of uh, abusing children and, and um, you know, kind of absconding with money uh, and serving its own purposes. Okay, so, so it doesn't matter where you're, you look. We're now at a moment when people do not trust institutions, hmm. and yet we desperately need, need them, them in order to order our lives and to know how to be with one another. Hmm. And so, I mean, and, and for me, this goes to the heart of, of uh, you know, your podcast. It is a non-institutional form hmm. that can be received out of an institution that is trying to help people order their lives. Hmm. All right. Now that that's living on the edge in between the institution that we need yes. and the, the capacity that we need to learn how to engage people around the purpose of that institution. Yeah. And people are coming. I mean, I, I think that this is a generational things in many cases that people are are wanting what our institutions have and want to engage them in, in a much less institutional way. Yeah. Uh, but we are talking about leadership. And so, you know, my argument uh, in the book and in other places where I am is that if that is some description of our situation, and that's only one way of looking at our situation, but if that's some description of our situation, leaders certainly need uh, uh, a different um, uh, set of ideas and a, a different set of skills uh, in order to engage that. Mm. Um, and so, you know, uh, let me let me stop there. But I mean, you know, that's that's a part of what really is is on my mind at the moment. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's one of the things that you have really helped me with, um, uh, because I, I think that early on I I might have been more of a burn it down person. Let's go and just you know. And the 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 more I have been around and have read your work and have been around some of the things that you've crafted and created, none of the things that I do kind of in the outside um, of 
um, um, Sunday morning make sense without the institution of the church and without the institution really the I'm I'm United Methodist right um, and so the things that I'm doing and the things that even that we're doing you know it uh, um, as a part of the mission of Chapelwood don't make sense to me outside of being connected to Chapelwood. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that connection, whether you talk about center or edge, um, that umbilical cord and lifeblood, I think for bo- in a bi-directional way is super important. Um, and, right. Um, right. and those relationships, um, have become more important to me rather than less, um, which is really well, interesting. Okay. And so you're, you're kind of tapping into another issue here for me, and that is, uh, you know, that uh, thriving um, organizations, uh, thriving organisms of any form need to have permeable boundaries. Hmm. They need to be able to have a boundary that allows, allows energy or resources in and energy and resources <laughs> out. And so during the period of growth that we started in the 1950s, we began to develop institutions that did not, that had clear boundaries, but were not permeable. Hmm. If you came in, you had to come in under our rules. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you don't follow our rules, we will expel you across the boundary, but you don't have the freedom to do it other ways. You can't go back out and just do it the way you want. You're either in or you're out. I mean, think about, uh, you know, all that we know about ordination in any of our major denominations. Uh, you know, there is there is a guild that you have to join uh, by following the rules. And if you break the rules, you are out. That is not a permeable boundary. Right. But thriving organizations have permeable, bound, permeable, permeable boundaries. They allow people in. They allow people out. You can do it our way, but if you are still working on our purpose and would rather do it your way, that's okay. I mean, you know, this is that whole thing about, uh, you know, we, we, we ended up um, defining thriving by institutional standards uh, and mostly by county resources. How many people do you have? How much money do you have? Uh, how, how good are your buildings? That kind of stuff. That uh, in some sense, thriving is not whether or not, uh, you know, you, you can get a lot of resources. Thriving is can you live in your environment? Uh, and, you know, systems have to be adaptable. From a systems point of view, uh, the, the principle is uh, learning how to be steady in, in purpose, but uh, flexible in strategy. When your environment changes... Can you still do what you do, but do it in a very, very different way that now, you know, kind of lives in that environment? Um, you know, um, does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And I, I'm thinking yeah. in terms of yeah. a lot of churches that I've either worked with or known, like from South Georgia or really across our denomination that are that are churches that, like you said, have very, you know, we've located them now on the public square you know, they have walls. You have to go in to receive the ministry. They might have a food pantry, but even that, I would say, is is a is a is a little doorway uh, uh, where they go out and sort of feed the community. But there's still a hard uh, a wall there. Uh, sometimes those people are not even allowed in. Right. Uh, and the, also the unwillingness to change. I rem, I rem, you know just thinking in terms of change management and mm-hmm. what level of survival anxiety is present in the system. 
And it's funny to me that there's so much anxiety in, in the system, but apparently it's not enough. Uh, well, what was, what was it? The, the, it's the learning anxiety. So the survival anxiety is like really high. People are afraid they're not going to make it, but they can't vision. They can't envision themselves yeah. living into that new future. And that's so scared to them. They can't understand what that would look like for our church to have permeable boundaries you know and so because they can't get there right. they can't manage that that psychological disconnect so they just sit there and they just wait to to pass on into non you know where they don't exist anymore that's, that's why i see a lot of churches and they're right. holding fast either they're holding fast saying we will not we will stand our ground and you know god you know whatever the culture you know, that's it. And other people are like, I'm just too scared to move and we'll just shelter in place and last one out, turn out the lights kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, let's, let's go to, um, uh, one of my favorite, um, recent case studies, if you want to think about it that way. Uh, and this comes from a, a friend of mine who's an executive in the Presbyterian church and, uh, he was an executive over a, a really dense urban area that had been under tremendous stress. And so he had this little congregation, maybe they were down to me, I don't know, maybe 30 people in average attendance or even maybe less than that. And, you know, they're, they're wondering what they're going to do. They're losing their resources. They're down to a quarter time pastor. They're not sure if they're going to make it. They've got a huge building. They have a, another manse, uh, you know, another building, which is the house of, of, for the pastor when they had the pastor and they have a plot of ground in between. So one woman says, well, you know, while we're waiting to figure out what's going to happen here, how about if I take that plot and turn it into a garden? So she got a couple of people going with the garden. Okay. Now, the, uh, the really critical piece was she developed from her little group of, of folk two sets of volunteers. Hmm. The one set of volunteers, in fact, Okay, thanks. We might still be having problems with the internet here. Uh, but the, um, uh, she set one, um, one group of volunteers to grow the vegetables. And then she worked with a second group of, of uh, volunteers to talk to people who came to get free vegetables <laughs> from the neighborhood. So in other words, they put up a sign, 10 o'clock Saturday morning, come on over, you can take whatever free vegetables you want. And she worked with those people not to give the vegetables away, but to talk to people while they gave them away. And she essentially just had this genius impulse to say, when you're talking to them, ask them what's important and what they're concerned about. Hmm. Okay. From that came a tutoring program that the church was a center of and, you know, a whole bunch of other things. Okay, but what she had done is that she shifted the agenda and the agency from the congregation to the neighborhood. Yeah, there you go. That instead of worrying about the, you know, uh, you know, can do we have enough agency to bring people into our church? That was their question as a congregation. She flipped it around and she said, we've got to learn what is the question that the, that the neighborhood is trying to answer and what can we bring to that? That's so good. So she just flipped agency, flipped, you know, the whole agenda. And suddenly they had people showing up. They were growing in worship and that was not their goal at that point. All right. 
but they, uh, they then started a tutoring program. They brought in uh, kids from the local university, uh, you know, to be the tutors. They were thriving. They had all these community meetings and stuff like that. And then they got, uh, they called a, a new uh, part-time pastor who was a retired jazz musician. <laughs> and his take on the whole thing was, well, that's all interesting. It's nice to see that, but we could get a whole lot of people you know, here, if we started to have jazz worship. And he put all of his time and energy and the resources of the church into jazz worship, which was whose issue? His. It was his issue. <laughs> he brought the agenda back into the church. And they had a couple of people showed up. They liked jazz music and the rest fell apart. Yeah. A lot of this is, is I think, learning, you know, where is, where is, where is the agenda of mission, of ministry, of healing, I mean, of justice? And it's usually not inside the institution. That's right. The institution is the infrastructure that allows you to address that. But those yeah. issues are living outside of us, which is not inside. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It seems counterintuitive, but it, it, because you think, oh, if I put all, if I, one of the things I know that you say is, is that courageous leaders allocate resources to people, <laughs> you know, and that, that, um, and yeah. if the institution is really kind of thinking only about itself, it's counterintuitive. But once you begin to do that, it opens up the highway, you know, and what you've wanted, which is to be right. a viable, vibrant community in your neighborhood happens, but it doesn't happen when you're trying to preserve your own resources. It happens when you begin to think outside of that, it seems so. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. I, I think that's, I mean, that it's, it's interesting now because, you know, you tell that story of a particular church and I remember a church in Columbus, Georgia, that I was working with on a committee task force and it was a little older, you know, Anglo white church. And it was in an African-American community that had a school across the street, a lot of young families, a lot of kids, and they knew exactly who was in their community. Yeah. They knew exactly <laughs> what it was they were looking for. They knew exactly what the needs were and they stayed with what they wanted to do and ultimately it it died i mean they had to to close the doors because they were not willing to listen i mean they were listening but they were not willing to make those changes they still wanted everyone to come and be with them the way they were and i think that's going to be a hard part of of, I, i like the idea of permeable boundaries and it's interesting to me talk a little bit about just where we are now with the pandemic how do you think this is going to uh, cause churches to really be maybe more open or less open? Or are you seeing or sensing that there is a, a radical revolution going on through that? Or I also get the sense that there's just as many people that just are sheltering in place and can't wait to get back to the way it was before the pandemic. What, what's your take right now? No, I, I think um, I think you're probably um, absolutely right with your description that uh, the overabundance of congregations are are just um, uh, you know kind of uh, treading water, waiting to get back. Uh, and um, you know, it, it's been kind of an interesting. I wrote a, a short paper not too long ago at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, and you know, the kind of idea was that um, nature just abhors a vacuum. Uh, and that when you can't do what you've always done, suddenly 
these things rush in to fill that space and it can be really creative. Uh, when I watched uh, the congregation that my wife and I, uh, you know, uh, attend, when we had to transition to Zoom, we went to a Zoom platform to do worship. Um, you know, um, we had to give up everything we knew, and suddenly there were like three people who were not particularly leaders in the congregation in the old form, simply stepped up, and they just kind of carried us over the bridge. Mm. Um, and the woman who, the young woman who knew the most about technology, not only got us on the platform, she started to do pastoral care during the sessions. Oh, she wow. just, what she did is she simply became herself, but now there was space for herself. Hmm. Okay. And so these things just naturally happen. Okay. Um, you know, so even, even if it isn't massive change, these really healthy things were starting to happen simply because we couldn't do it the old way. Mm. Now, the longer we're in that setting, uh, it's like everything else that, uh, you know, our patience has grown thin. Uh, we want to go back. Uh, you know, this is the, the call of nostalgia. Uh, we got some folk, uh, you know, who are in the conversation who are insisting that they go back into the pew in order to listen to the choir. Mm. Well, that's going to happen. And so what I think we're looking at is that we were already on track to lose, uh, I don't know, maybe up to 30% of our congregations over the next couple of decades within just the United Methodist system. They were not going to maybe make it, you know, through the transition in the culture. Uh, that 30% may now be 50%. Who knows? Uh, you know, uh, you know the, the deep desire to go back is another misstep that keeps us from moving forward. Yeah, and so we're going to lose yeah, even that's more. Right. That's right. Uh, yeah. And even the forms that we had before are going to have less response. People are, <laughs> you know, uh, Matt and I were just in a group of church leaders, um, not to be named, who are now talking about how they're, uh, they're migrating around the Internet for their worship. Uh, you know, and um, they may not even stay for the whole worship service when they, you know, I mean, this is known as lurking in other places. I mean, you, know, you just got to love this stuff. Uh, but, okay. But what that says is that the, the way people are going to engage us, even when we go back, they're not going to come and sit for an hour. No. You know, not if they can get what they're really asking for in 20 minutes by searching around. That's right. Um, What's going to be required is going to be really different here. Yeah. 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 I, I don't think we ever lose gathering people together because I think there's a, there's a human, like you said, I mean, we're created for community, community, but what we're going to find is that there's going to be a generational change on how they, def, how they, how the needs of community are met. And so, you know, I hear so many different things and I think a lot of it's hypothesis at this point, but like think about our entire young generation that's coming along and has lived through 2020, there's some people that are saying they're going to detest online worship because it's going to remind them of a pandemic. They're going to want to experience community in a different way. I don't know if that's true or not, but it could be. And I've also talked to a lot of people who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, even 50s, they have children, and they're really enjoying this on-demand um, spiritual formation from their church. They can consume it at, you know, 1145 on Sunday or 730 AM or Monday evening, 
together or separate, even they might be in different rooms. I mean, it's like something that as a pastor now with almost 30 years, 30 years in this thing, it's like, that's not, that, that can't work that way. It can't work that way. We got everybody in the room, you know, you got everybody together. We got to get everybody. And so it really does assault your, uh, your expectations and your assumptions. You talk a lot about managing, you know, assumptions about things that we have to adjust those sort of sort of oh, things yeah, and I, yeah. and expectations. I've always, who was it? The guy that said the secret to happiness is low expectations. And I think that we're going to have to adjust our expectations yeah. and our assumptions about what really is spiritual connection, making disciples instead of at an abstract level, it's going to look specifically very different now and coming out of the pandemic. Yeah, it is. And this is where, um, you know, I really uh, I'm, I'm trying to challenge leaders mm-hmm. uh, and to get them out of problem solving mode. Um, you know, one of the things that I've, I've worked with the bishops in the church for a long time um, is that they have to learn how to lead boldly without knowing where they're going. And that's because every time you come up with an answer, it creates your next problem. Mm. Okay, and so if you go out there and boldly say, here's the answer, come follow me, you are now leading people into the next problem. And so if you're not willing to take that trip and say, I don't know where we're going, but when we get there, we'll figure out the next step. That's right. Okay, now, yeah. um, <laughs> think, think about, um, I mean, and the reason I'm saying this is, you know, part of what, what, uh, where we're going here is to say that we have to do a new thing as if we know what the new thing is. Right. You know, this, this digital worship that we're learning how to do is, is not the solution. No. It's going to create the next problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've really been uh, taken by uh, Bill uh, uh, Dunkelman's work on the vanishing neighbor. And he basically, and he's working off some really old uh, anthropological theory, but, you know, that we have organized ourselves at different levels. And so uh, for each of us, there is an inner circle of people who are those that we have the tightest relationship with. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is our, our group, our yes. family. These are the people who are on speed dial on your phone and yeah. the people you email the most. You know, I mean, these are the people that you really stay in touch with. Around that is the next ring or the next circle. And those are the people who are kind of like you. They kind of fit the mold of the people that that you relate to and everything. And you often think about them as your community and so forth. And then the third circle out there is everybody else. This is the big circle. Okay. And they are all different people. Uh, All right. So uh, one of the things that uh, Dunkelman is working on is what happens when uh, social media and when technology come into that. And where he's able to point to is that we now go to two of those three circles. We either go to the inner circle or we go to the wide circle. And we have no contact, almost no contact in the intermediary space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, somebody else who pointed out that if you take your, wherever you live, uh, you know, and put that in the center, uh, there are what, eight other residences around you if you make a, a square of nine. So you would be the middle square. 
we okay so far? Yes. <laughs> I'm not good at math, but I'm following you. Carry the two. Okay. So if you're if you're in that if you're in that middle square mm-hmm. of this block yeah. of you know nine squares, that uh, overwhelmingly maybe ninety percent of the people don't even know the names of the people who are in the other eight squares around them. Okay, we have we have almost lost our connection. Yes, yes. So I translate that if I'm if I'm watching my grandkids play soccer, I'm like the rest of the parents and the rest of the grandparents. Uh, you know, while we're while the game is going on, we're all standing on the sideline, and we're all really engaged with what the kids are doing, and you know we're. Uh, yelling and, and kicking the ball imaginarily with our own foot and all that other kinds of work. We're really engaged. And then it comes to halftime and there's all these people standing on the sideline. And the one thing that they tend not to do is to turn and talk to each other. Yeah. Instead, what they do is they pull out their cell phone and they go to the internet or they go to the email. Well, where are they going? Either to the center circle with the email to the people that they always talk to or they're going back out, you know, to Twitter, you know, going yeah. Google, Google yeah. the cast of their latest favorite movie. Uh, yeah. You know? But what they don't do is they don't talk to each other. Okay. So what I'm, what I'm trying to get at here <laughs> is that, you know, for all that we want to be able to say that we now are moving toward our next solution. No. No, we still haven't even broached this issue of how do we connect people in community? Yes. Uh, We, you know, institutions are built for mediating space for that middle ring of how are we going to, you know, uh, Brueggemann has said that uh, at every time in the crisis of Israel's life, they had to ask two questions. How will we now be with God and how will we now be with one another? Yeah. All right. That question of how will we now be with one another is really unresolved yes. in this latest pandemic. We have not figured that out. And so, uh, yeah, uh, so, you know, uh, the institution is, is, the, is the infrastructure by which we can address that. It, and we have to learn how to do it in new ways. But I don't think we're, we're getting an answer out of this yet. Gil, is, um, do I hear what you're saying, though, is we may not know the how, but is part of the purpose of the institution to, um, to summons us into that space that creates or helps to negotiate or rebuild, or uh, it may not even be a rebuilding, but um, to constitute that space of neighborliness? Um, um, because, um, that, that space. Okay. Uh, And so then the institution, the institutional call is to be in John and I, um, we're talking about this a bit ago that it seems that all theology, all church is really contextual now. Um, and, and not just context around who's sitting in the pew next to me, but really then helping to equip our folks to, um, to think neighborly. Like who like to to really reconstitute a sense of what it means to be neighbor in um, folks across the street and really even across the highway to really begin to think that is that is that part of the purpose of this yeah. next phase? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Part of the purpose. Okay. I'm I'm really and 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 this is uh, in some sense not just what I'm thinking about um, 
is going on with the church, but I'm also thinking about where I am in my own life. Mm -hmm. And uh, this notion that um, the, um, the, the two great commandments, Jesus was, at, was asked, what is the greatest of the commandments? And his response was, well, there's two. <clears throat> You know, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. And so, um, you know, there have been some theologians who say that, you know, when that happened, Jesus was not saying, well, here's the top two, you know, kind of, you know, if you're going to prioritize all the commandments, pay attention to these first. Now, he then goes on, Jesus goes on to say, uh, on these two commandments uh, hang all the laws the law and, and the, the prophets, teachings yeah. of the prophets. Yeah. That they are... They are the fundamental of the faith on which everything else is built. Hmm. All right. So how will we be with God and how will we be with one another? Uh, there's a number of uh, theologians who are now looking at the Ten Commandments, not as if they are moral law. You know, if I follow the, these Ten Commandments, I will then be a good person as opposed to being a bad person. Right. The theologians are now beginning to address these as saying, no, this is the way that Israel was being taught yes. to be both faithful to God and faithful to community. Yes. You shall have one God, and here's how you're going to relate to each other. Yeah. This, these, okay. So what I'm, what I'm saying here is that, uh, you know, at this stage of my life, I'm beginning to realize how fundamental my faith is to be able to address how we can live with one another and that my church has something fundamentally important to teach the world I live in. Yes. Okay. We've got in my mind what the world deeply needs to be able to sort out a lot of our dilemmas. That's really good. But it has nothing to do with saying you know, you're a good person, you're a bad person, and it has nothing to do with, with saying that you have to follow our doctrines or our traditions. It is, if you want to walk with us, we can help you to change your life as an individual in a better form. And if you walk with us, you can be part of a community that can be healthy. Uh, you know, I mean, those are really different approaches. That's right. So, I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, you all tell me whether I'm making or not but no i, I love it. I, it it it's like everything the, the pendulum swings yeah you know and i think in the like you said in the coming out of the 40s 50s 60s 70s even till today everything was rooted around facades on main street and they were uh, social centers you know uh, geographic spatial locations and now i think we're we're if you want to call it postmodern or post whatever fill in the blank, you know, we are actually moving away from the static way of thinking about church, like you're saying, and really, you know, everybody talks about getting back to like first century, you know, Christianity. I mean, I think it's ancient Judaism, Judeo-Christianity. It's, it's back to focus on what the purpose is. And mm -hmm. I think we just went through a season in our culture where everything was very institutionally laden politics, schools, the way we do education, the way everything was built around institutions. Well, that was a season and we're still trying to force things into that model. That model doesn't exist anymore. Uh, people are not, like you said, people are not, res they don't resonate with that model. Some generational, uh, some generations do, and they long for that. They long for everything to be like that always. But I can tell you 
people who are in their, my kids in their 20s and their 30s and even 40s, they, they have no concept of that. They didn't come up with that. They came up with the deconstruction of all of that. And so they're looking for spirituality. I think there's a right. great hunger and we just have to be careful to not, you know, provide the table and the place setting. Like you said, through the institutional models, we have to be willing to listen and say, all right, it's like potluck. Everybody bring your own stuff, but then we're going to provide the picnic table out in the, in the, in the, um, you know, in the garden, mm. uh, wherever that garden may not be in our building, maybe across town, mm. but we're willing to come and create, help create the community. Cause we, we, we can do that. That's, that's what I hear, you know, you saying, and that's what I get the right. sense that there's hunger for mm. people are hunger. They are hungry for connection because social media technology has served a, a profound purpose of importance. We know more than we've ever known before, and yet we know less about certain things. And we're more connected than ever before, and also more disconnected from personal relationships. Right, mm. right. There was, um, and I, I don't talk about it much, and it certainly doesn't show up in my writing a whole lot, but one of the things that has captured me for a long time is the notion of a deep generalist. Uh, and this is this is a, a kind of a leadership framework, but, um, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the notion of an expert uh, is someone who has, um, you know, become uh, deeper and deeper in their knowledge about less and less. <laughs> you know, that they are, they are specialists in a particular area. And so if that happens to be where your question is, the one thing you need is an expert. They can tell you whatever you need to know. A deep generalist is, is quite different. A deep generalist is someone who has uh, who dove deeply into their own discipline to understand their discipline at depth so that at the surface they can look broadly beautiful beautiful and offer a different perspective they're not saying that you know i can help you by making your problem what i know about they're saying let me lend what I know about yeah. to help you understand your problem. It's a, it's a, again, it's a repro. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like a big Jesus way of doing it because what I hear you um, saying is that it's not about solving problems. It really is about a new way of seeing, right? right. And once I see what is new, then and, and even we have to we have to move forward without even knowing what we're seeing, right? That's where I think the institution says, you tell me what you believe and I'll tell you what you if you belong. And Jesus right. comes along and says, come and see, right? right. <laughs> and so that's a different, you know, that's Very a different, different way, right? And I, and I think that we're at that place now where I think, at least within congregations, people are asking for more certainty, um, and um, and for more security, but we live in a world that's offering less and less, and the institution can provide us a way of saying, um, let's look at this differently. We need to move differently into the future that God's calling us to, right? right? So our right. security is not necessarily in what we have, in what we own, in what we... Our security is in a set of relationships that are calling us, um, uh, that, that actually provides a lot of disruption, so that's the, yeah. there's a paradox in that, right? There's this disruption and there's this right. like freedom, you know, right. <laughs> and both are true. Well, I mean, 
just bring it bring it yeah. back around then to what yeah. we're talking about in terms of institutions what our instant what our leaders what, okay what we need from our leaders in our institutions our mm -hmm. churches and what we need from our church is that they start behaving like degeneralists that they go deep enough into their own disciplines and their own teachings so that they are fully aware of what is there so that they can come up and engage people on this, this breadth of experience mm. and say, let's look at it through this, through this lens. Can, mm. can you see what I see? Not here's your answer, but can you see what I see? Mm. That's really different. Yeah, the unfortunate thing is we still That's have beautiful. a lot of churches, and I'd say they're in all denominations, in ours as well, where uh, I would say this uh, purity and dogma, this right thinking, has elevated in certain ideological form. And, you know, I, I, I just think as I look at the life of Jesus, that was not the priority. That was not the main, like you said, the love of God, love of neighbor. It was all about the connection of relationships. And so, um, you know, when, when you're, when you're moving in a direction where you're drawing, uh, the circles more clearly and definitively, it's like, what was the saying? It's like when you start drawing circles, uh, around yourself or around your belief, uh, you'll never be able to draw them small enough at some point. And, I think that's the, the society is looking at that. I just think that's the wrong, it's the wrong way to tack the boat and move in that direction. Uh, I think love is more expansive and it doesn't mean that what you believe doesn't matter. It just means that you have a greater sense of relational tolerance around disagreeing intellectually, you know, because if fundamentally the relationship and the connection is of, of supreme importance, my relationship with God, my relationship with you, that's going to reframe um, the limitations of you and I don't think alike. That's right. You know, you voted for X and I voted for Y. Well, why can't we still be connected yeah. in a healthy right. way? So, right. That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Uh, <laughs> uh, um we're making a very small meal for two people. Are you? Oh, <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot of people uh, are we, doing we, that. We, but, yeah. That's a, a yeah, lot of people. Yeah, we have two sons. We have two sons, and between uh, their families, we have six grandkids. Um, one of those family lives nearby. The other is in a different uh, part of the country. Uh, even with the ones nearby, um, you know, I think uh, the virus has um, has jumped by about 800% in our county uh, mm -hmm. over these last couple of weeks. So we're hunkered down. And we're going to stay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And we'll, you know, we'll do what other people are doing. Well, I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are yeah. um, doing the same thing. You know, in Houston, we've been fortunate, but we're starting to see some uptick here. A lot of this is, you know, it's sort of moved around the country. It started in like New York and West Coast. And then it came down here to Houston and New Orleans, and now you see it um, in the Midwest and mm -hmm. places that are rising up. But it's, you know, I, I, I think being careful. My mother was going to think about coming over here for Christmas, but now she's thinking she's probably not going to do that. And so yeah. we're going to be Zooming together, I'm sure, you know, on the holidays, which will be different. But, um, mm. yep. well, I pray, I pray for you a safe and healthy and happy Thanksgiving. Um, any wise parting words well, for us before you. we go? 
Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think you had a lot of wise words this whole day. None that we can repeat here, probably. My father-in-law used to always tell the, uh, the story that uh, when he and his wife were out socializing, he was the one who always got tired of the gatherings before she did so. Um, he would always say, uh, Jane, uh, what do you say? meaning let's go <laughs> and she would always respond well save your money <laughs> you know what do you say save your money <laughs> i have no wisdom i have no wisdom no you do <laughs> well listen thanks, I, thanks for inviting me into the conversation i, well, I appreciate and, and what you're we will definitely invite you back. I think this conversation, this was the, when we started this podcast, it was around these types of things that we really wanted to think about pushing the envelope different. And of course it was only a, a couple of weeks after we started that, you know, pandemic hit. So that changed a lot of the framework this whole year that we've been doing. But this is, as we start getting towards vaccine and thinking about that rolling out, I think it's really important. The church I hope is having conversation uh, and been having conversation about what it looks like to come out on the other side. Cause I'm yeah. just afraid everybody wants to go back to the way it was. And I think that's a, that's a dangerous and scary thing for us to think about doing. Hmm. Yeah. Well, TMF is trying to mount some of that conversation uh, with right. what they're doing. And uh, I think that they will have some conversation partners, but again, you know, it, it will be probably only with those people who are attracted to those conversations to begin with. Yeah. Um, no, it's, uh, it's a lot more beyond that. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you praying for you for a safe Thanksgiving and Christmas. Y'all well, you. stay and safe. You, and you well. Yep. Yep. Gil, thank thanks you. so much. Blessings thanks. to you. Bye-bye. Be in yep. touch. All right. We'll see you. Bye. He's a pretty smart fella. Yeah, I'd like to have him on. You need your mic back. Oh, sorry. Do we have to do the... I'd like to have him on like this thing lot. we do That's every I week. forget. Like the ending. <laughs> yeah. It was like too much coffee for you, bro. <laughs> Wait, out. <laughs> mic drop. Wait. It's the mic twist. I've gone one week and I forget how this works. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 you know, I think mm. this is the starting point of a conversation that, yeah. when you think about the the new digital sort of thing that we're doing, that's going to morph into worship experience. You know, that's one of those permeable things that I see. And it's, yeah. it's like so many things that I can see when he talks about that. I see at Chapelwood that where that's working already. Yes. Yes. Um, and how yeah. at the food pantry, they're listening to people. We know like where people are as far as rent, uh, you know, evictions and where yes. they are in their lives and what their fears are. Yes. And I think that's fascinating to me. I do. I do too. I, I, um, I feel so, um, blessed that we have access to folks like Gil who have, um, who are teaching us how to think, not necessarily what to think. And I think that that's the skill set that the church is needing to go into the future, to be faithful to, to this Jesus that's in, <laughs> already moved on, is in the future, calling us to it. And so, um, faithfulness does not look like doubling down on the past. It looks like um, asking, where is God? Where is my neighbor? And how do we be faithful to both of those? That's a good ending word. I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. Now you can drop the mic and walk. Thanks, swing it. <laughs> <laughs>